In connection with our sermon, which is taken from Psalm 56, we will also read from 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel, um, David has come into Saul's court, and then just in chapter 20, Jonathan warned David that Saul was actually now trying to kill him. So at the start of chapter 21, he decides to flee, and he flees to Ahimelech the priest. And we're going to pick up in verse, um, verse 8. 1 Samuel 21, verse 8. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The text for our sermon this afternoon is, comes from Psalm 56. Psalm 56. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths, a miktam of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh? Do to me. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. 
So far, our reading from God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and that also includes you boys and girls, what makes you afraid? Sometimes, children, loud noises can be frightening, aren't they? Other times, when it's, when it's really dark out and there's no noise at all, that can also make us afraid. Or may, maybe, it's, maybe it's a neighbor's really large dog that frightens you. Children, when you're afraid, isn't it comforting when mom or dad is with you? You can, you can hide behind them from that dog, or you can get a hug when you're frightened by that loud noise or from the dark. Because they are your parents, because they love you, and because they're stronger than you, they can protect you when you are afraid. But children, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered who do mom and dad go to when they get frightened? Not only do our parents get afraid, but as we grow up, we'll realize that they're not able to protect us from everything. And in fact, because our parents are sinful, sometimes they even let us down and don't protect us as they should. When that is the case, who then can you turn to when you're afraid? Well, do you know who David turned to when when he was afraid? The same person that you and your parents can also go to. In Psalm 56, David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. And in our sermon, we will see the three different reasons that David puts his trust in God when he is afraid. The first reason comes from verses 1 through 7, and that is because his God is greater than all of his enemies. The second reason David puts his trust in God is because his God will bottle all of his tears. comes from verses 8 through 11. And the last reason that David puts his trust in God when he is afraid is because God would make him walk in the light of life. This will come from verses 12 and 13. So first of all, David, when he is afraid, he puts his trust in God because God is greater than all of his enemies. If you look at Psalm 56 in the heading, we can see that David wrote Psalm 56 when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, do you remember how David killed Goliath in an earlier story in 1 Samuel? Well, afterwards, the Israelites sang, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, this made King Saul very angry because he was afraid that David was going to become king instead of him. So Saul plans to kill David. David finds out from his friend Jonathan and he decides to flee. We read earlier how he got the sword of Goliath from the high priest. And then David continues to Gath. Gath. Of all places. David, walking in there, he must have been like, Hey, Philistines, look what I've got here. Do you recognize this sword? It's Goliath, your champion. That's right. Gath was Goliath's hometown. Imagine the reaction of King Achish's servants as they recognized Goliath's sword and then connected it to the man who was carrying it. This is David, who killed our hero. He's enemy number one. 
And so Achish's servants, they seized David and they threw him in prison until Achish could decide what to do with him. We read in 1 Samuel 21 that David was very much afraid. And it is in his fear that he composed Psalm 56. David speaks of his dangerous situation in verses 1 and 2. We read in verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an an attacker oppresses me. David, he doesn't even get a, a, a break to catch his breath. In verses 1, 2, and 5, David says that his enemies, they oppress him all day long. Verse 1, all day long an attacker oppresses me. Verse 2, my enemies, they trample on me all day long. Verse 5, all day long they injure my cause. David gets no relief from his enemies. Why is this? Well, it's because, as verse 2 says, his enemies are many. Many attack me proudly. Not only is David hated by the Gentile Philistines, Saul, an Israelite, one of God's own people, one of David's people, was also trying to kill David. Even at home, David was not safe. And his enemies, they are powerful, are they not? Saul and Achish, they are kings. They're dangerous. David, is, he is facing an unrelenting assault from many powerful enemies. So, so how can David say at the end of verse 4, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? How can David say this? Is this some sort of a, a false bravado? Maybe a, a stiff, stoic upper lip? Perhaps it's my misguided naiveness from David. No. David knew what his enemies could do to him. In verses 5 and 6, David describes his enemies as predators hunting their prey. David is like this helpless deer and all his enemies' thoughts are against him for evil. Like a pack of wolves, we read that they, that they lurk in verse 6. They're, they're watching his steps. They stalk their prey. They lie in wait in ambush for David's life, seeking a, an opportunity to pounce and destroy David. Who wouldn't be afraid with enemies like this? David was. The man after God's own heart. The courageous hero who killed Goliath still wrestled with fear. Because like us, David faced situations that that were far outside of his control. Congregation, like him, we also face situations that we can't control. The question isn't if we're going to be afraid. The question is what are we going to do when we are afraid? Perhaps we're not afraid of the dark anymore, but there are still things that make us all afraid. What will we do with those fears? Perhaps we're afraid of the suffering that enemies like cancer or chronic arthritis bring. Maybe the last enemy, death, makes us afraid. How about Satan? When Satan whispers in our ears after we fall into sin, 
When Satan whispers to us that we will never escape from our lust, from our anger, from our greed. When he tells us that we are all alone in our sins and that no one will accept us if they found out. Congregation, what do we do when Satan makes us afraid? And how about the fear of people? Satan whispers in our ears and he says, no one appreciates you. They're laughing behind your back. They're making fun of you. Satan makes me focus my gaze on myself and on others rather than looking to God. That's the real problem when I'm afraid, is it not? The problem is when I lose sight of God. Maybe you've read the, or heard of the book, When People Are Big and God is Small. The author explains that most of us in our, during our lives, we live in fear of people. As teens, we give in to peer pressure. As adults, we become people pleasers. In every case, the problem is that our fear of man is, is so much greater than our fear of God. To escape the snare of the fear of man, the first task is to grow in our fear of God, to recognize that our God is awesome and glorious and not other people. This is also the answer that David comes to in Psalm 56. Even in his desperate circumstances, David can confess, I shall not be afraid because he also confesses, in God I trust. Imagine David in prison writing these words. He's reflecting on the stories that he's been told of God's great power and faithfulness throughout history. He's remembering how Moses commanded Israel to trust in God when Pharaoh had them trapped by the Red Sea. The sea behind them, two mountains on either side, and Pharaoh on the other side. But they trusted in God, and God led them right through the midst of the sea on dry ground. God sent them bread from heaven while they were in the wilderness. He caused water to come gushing forth from a rock. And when Israel came into the promised land, God caused the very walls of Jericho to come crashing down so that Israel could enter into their land. David remembered how God had fought for and protected Israel in the past. Brothers and sisters, this is the remedy for, for, for our fear. Growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in our knowledge of his mighty deeds of salvation. And not just head knowledge, brothers and sisters, but, but heart knowledge. We need to meditate on who our God is. We must learn and dwell on the promises of the gospel and learn what they mean for our lives. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 56 together. A special feature of Hebrew poetry is called the chiasm. What is a chiasm? Well, in a chiasm, the first thought, the first statement, it parallels the last thought. The next thought, the second thought, it parallels the second last thought. And in the center, you get the, the central, the most, the most weighty thought of the entire chiasm. Well, if we look at verses 3 and 4, we see that David starts with fear. He says, when I am afraid. 
But near the end of verse 4, he moves and he confesses, I shall not be afraid. He moves from fear to no fear. And how does that happen? Well, his trust in God. The second statement David makes is, I put my trust in you. And same with his second last statement, in God I trust. And what is the central thought of the chiasm? What is the most weighty thought that that ties it all together, that allows David to move from fear to no fear? Well, we see it at the start of verse 4. In God, whose word I praise. David's trust in God, which, which makes his fears diminish, it is rooted in God's praiseworthy word. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you to to meditate on God's word. How how are you to know God's character? How are you to know the promises that God has made to you if you are not saturated in Scripture? How are you to stand firm in your faith? It's so easy for, for us to be tossed and turned by our emotions, by our fears, by our doubts. Only God's word gives us the boldness and the stability that we need to drive out fear. I once was hunting deep in the bush with three of my friends. As we walked into the bush, gradually the the clouds came out and and hid the sun. A storm was starting to blow in, and, and as the wind came in, it started to blow the trees and the bushes back and forth. And when we decided that it was time to leave, each of us pointed in a different direction that we thought was out. The sun was gone and our surroundings were shifting and we had lost all sense of direction. We were completely disoriented. And it was rather frightening until my friend remembered that he had brought his compass In the same way, the winds of life, they may shake our surroundings, leaving us feeling disoriented, confused, and afraid. Brothers and sisters, will you choose to walk through the bush of life, confused and afraid, without direction? Or will you choose to let the compass of God's word direct your path? Make sure you have this compass with you. God's word truly is a light to guide our steps. It allows us to walk in a confusing and and a disorienting, disorienting world with boldness. Because it truly is a bold statement that David makes in verse four. He says, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David's enemies, they tempt him to despair, but his faith defies his fears. What can flesh do to me? Yes, it looks bad. By human standards, this is certainly not going to end well. But I choose to put my faith in God. Dear congregation, David could only make this statement because he knew his God who was revealed in Scripture. Today, we have even more reason than David to have such a bold, such a a confident faith. And it's because we know Christ. We know Christ whom Scripture calls the guarantee, the yes and the amen to all of God's promises that he has ever made. I want you you to, to picture Jesus. Picture Jesus ascended to heaven, seated at God's right hand. 
And he is sitting there with a pen, a pen that is filled with the ink of his precious blood. And with this pen, Jesus, he signs his signature. He signs his guarantee to all the promises that God has made to you in his word. When I'm afraid that I will not break free of my sin, I see Jesus in heaven signing Philippians 1 verse 6. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. When I am afraid of death, I defy my fears with 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When I doubt that my oppressors will ever face justice, there is Jesus sitting in heaven and he signs Luke 18, verses 7 and 8, with his personal guarantee. Will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I tell you, he will give justice to them. Dear congregation, if David could be comforted by reflecting on God's character, by reflecting on the the promises God had made, How much more strength and comfort does God's word hold for us now that Christ has come? He is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. So I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to know your Bibles. Read it. Meditate on it. Take courage from God's promises that are guaranteed to you through the blood of Jesus. One of these promises that Christ guarantees and also another reason that we do not need to fear during this life is because God bottles all our tears. David uses this beautiful metaphor in verse 8. Verse 8, it starts by saying that, that God has kept count of all my tossings. Like a scribe or an accountant, God, he, he carefully tallies all of David's tossings so he doesn't lose track of, of, of any of them. As David, as, as he tosses on his bed at night, unable to sleep because he's on the run, while, while the tears are running down his cheeks and soaking his pillow, God is keeping track. He catches David's tears in his bottle because those tears are precious to him. In the dry climate of ancient Israel, it was important to preserve precious liquids like water, wine, and milk. They would do so in a a leak-proof bag or a bottle. Now, this this bottle, it it would have a very small opening, just large enough to let the precious liquid be poured out so that someone could drink, but small enough that it would prevent any of the liquid from evaporating in in a very hot and dry atmosphere. Congregation, what, a, what an incredibly powerful image this is. David's tears of lament and anguish are so precious to God that he captures and stores them in his bottle. I will not let them evaporate, says God. None of your sorrows will ever be forgotten. Those tears are also recorded in God's book. We also see that in verse 8. 
Kings would often record important events that happened during their reign. Just like King Xerxes, who recorded how Mordecai had saved his life from a plot. This means that the almighty king of the entire universe, that he considers every single one of our tears, every sorrow, every fear, to be so important to him that that he has to capture it, preserve it, to write it in his book. Congregation, that's incredible. It's almost too hard to believe, isn't it? But God reveals here in Psalm 56, and, and Christ guarantees it with his unbreakable word, that God bottles all our tears and that he does not forget them. Even though our God is so awesome and mighty, you and I, we matter enough to him that he captures and he records every one of our sorrows. So congregation, pour your heart out to God. Tell him of your fears, of your sorrows. He wants to hear them. Tell him about your struggles because he is listening. He is recording them. You can trust him when you are afraid because he has promised in Psalm 56 that your sorrows are important to him. And congregation, the final reason, the final reason in Psalm 56 that we see that we don't have to fear is because like David, God will also make us walk in the light of life. This is our final point from Psalm 56. David's reflection on the Lord, his God, causes him to end Psalm 56 with confident praise and thanksgiving. He reminds himself in verse 12 of those voluntary vows that he had made. He reminds himself that these vows were binding. Now, these vows weren't required for God to deliver his people. Rather, they were a voluntary expression of gratitude. Now, sometimes the Israelites would be tempted to not keep their vows, and and this displeased God. But David's resolve shows the true heart of, of, of a believer, a heart of thankfulness that every true child of God displays. How could David not want to perform his vows after all that God had done for him? Had done? Brothers and sisters, David hasn't yet been delivered from his enemies. If we look at verse 13, our translation, it uses the past tense, delivered. But a better option is actually to translate this this verse in the future tense, as another Bible translation does. It says, you will deliver my soul from death. It says, you will keep my feet from falling. David writes Psalm 56 while he is still within the grasp of his enemies, while he is still in prison. But it is an anticipation of the Lord's great salvation. That captive David, he sings about God will deliver his soul from death, how he will keep his feet from stumbling. And congregation, God did deliver David, even though he had to wait. And we often must wait for deliverance also, don't we? Sometimes we wait our entire life. 
God often doesn't answer our prayers according to our own timetable, does he? But congregation, do we not know the character of our God? Our God, who is so much greater and majestic than our fears and our sorrows, do we not know him? Our God, who is intimately acquainted with our sorrows and bottles them up, Will our God, who never breaks any of his promises, will he now break them after he has given us his only son? Surely not, brothers and sisters. God will fulfill his promises, if not in this lifetime, then in the next. He will do so because he is for us. Perhaps you noticed in verse 9 that David declares there, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Or if you look at the footnote, there's a footnote number three there. It says, or because. So we can say, this I know, because God is for me. David knows that his enemies will turn back when he calls to God, because his God is for him. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8. But he also explains how much more secure and confident that we can be today, even more confident than David. Why? It's because unlike David, we know Christ, whom God did not spare, but gave as a sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, we were at once enemies of God. We were living in enmity with him, hostile towards him. If God gave in his love, if he gave up Christ for us while we were still his enemies, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things now that we are reconciled to him? Can anything separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? No, nothing in all creation we can know more confidently than David that God is for us because of Calvary. He will turn back our enemies. It's because of Calvary. It's because Jesus lived the truths of Psalm 56 that we can be certain that God will deliver our souls from death. During his lifetime, Jesus was pursued by his enemies constantly, just like David was in, his, in our text. Already in John 5, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says that the Jews, that they were seeking to kill Jesus. Like wolves, they, they lurked and plotted, trying to, to trap Jesus in his words. They were seeking just the right moment to seize and to kill Jesus. And when the right moment presented itself, when Judas Iscariot agreed to betray Jesus, they did pounce and they did kill him. In Hebrews 5 verse 7, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, just like those tears of David that that were bottled up by God. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And listen to what it says. And he was answered. He was heard because of his reverence. 
Hebrews 5 verse 7, it says that Jesus was heard. But didn't Jesus die? Did it not appear as if God had not answered his cries? That he would be delivered to the cries that he offered to the one who could save him from death? Jesus did die. He suffered greatly. He even cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And despite, yet despite all appearances, God did hear his cries. Because despite needing to wait for God, Jesus was saved from death. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. He raised him from the grave, and Jesus has triumphed over death forever. And congregation, the point is this. Even though Jesus had to wait until after his death, even though he had to trust throughout his struggles and sorrows, God did bottle his tears. God did save his soul from death. He did save him from his enemies. Jesus rose from that grave. Like David, Jesus can say with Psalm 56 verse 13, you have delivered my soul from death. And because Jesus was delivered from death, we can know with confidence that God accepted his sacrifice for our sins. We can know because Jesus rose from the dead that God is for us. Yes, there may still be things that frighten us when we look around in this hostile world. Sometimes, sometimes we too need to wait for our God to act. But congregation, ultimately we do know that God is for us, that he has our eternal destinies secure. Because we believe in Jesus, we too can confess with verse 13 that though we may die physically, God will deliver us from death, that he will keep our feet from falling. And if we look at, at Psalm 56 one last time, we see the reason, we see the reason for all this, the reason God delivers David. At the end of verse 13, the reason God delivers David is so that he may walk before God in the light of life. The word walk in verse 13, it, it means a constant or a repeated walking, the kind of action that is done over and over again throughout life. And brothers and sisters, this starts already here in this life. When we walk consistently, and faithfully with Jesus. We learn to trust him in the times of challenge, those times of difficulty. When we keep regular contact with God, we experience life-giving light that guides our feet. No, the suffering does not fully disappear, but the experience of God and his love causes the pain and the sorrow to slowly recede. And because of Christ, our initial walking here on earth is only a foretaste to our eternal hope when we will walk with, our, with Christ forever. Then Jesus will remove everything which causes us to fear, 
Just imagine, brothers and sisters, God is not going to need a bottle any longer to store our tears because he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any longer. For these former things will have passed away. Revelation 21 verse 4. Dear congregation, believe that promise. It is yours, secured and sure by faith in Jesus. And in this confident hope, this hope of your eternal inheritance to come, which is personally guaranteed with the blood of Jesus, Stand firm and take courage, no matter what fears or sorrows may beset you in the life to come. Amen.